0: June Diane Raphael is an actress, comedian, screenwriter, and producer. Currently, she co-stars in the hit Netflix series Grace and Frankie, and was recently seen opposite Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen in the Lionsgate comedy Long Shot, which, P.S., I freaking love that movie. If you have not seen it, you should totally watch it. It's really cute. Today, I sat down with this incredible actress to talk about her top five favorite, Women in Comedy, which was so fun and such an incredible look at not just the women who make us laugh, but what was it about their performance? Was it the physicality or the cerebral nature of the jokes that kept us giggling for years? This is my conversation with June Diane Raphael. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is your Faves Faves.
1: First of all, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. How are you doing? How are you doing? How is life? You're in oh 2020. Gosh. What's what's it like right now?
2: Thank you for having me and thank you for asking that question. Well, I will say that's one thing I like about this time is I feel like people are leading with like real how are yous, you know that have more right. weight to them you know, where everybody feels kind of raw. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's ultimately like a really good lesson to take forward of just first and foremost, checking in with how people are in their bodies and their minds and their hearts. So I, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's one of the things I have liked about this time. How am I? I am vacillating between... (laughs) Girl. Sometimes fine. And I am hear that. Sometimes not fine. I have I obviously, that. you know, my assortment of medications that are keeping me pretty even that I rely on because I uh I actually just started taking Prozac in January. And I've never taken an antidepressant before. And it's been life-changing and I'm so glad I I started. Yeah. Right now I'm like, oh. like lifts the bottom up a bit. And I've also had major hormone issues, whatever. I won't even get into it, but it has helped so much. Good. So that is great. And ultimately, of course, contextually big picture, I'm just fine. Um, Right. I am definitely feeling so much anxiety about the election. When will this episode drop? Like, will this episode drop? This will be after. Ah! Yeah, it'll be after.
1: (sighs) Right. So that's interesting because right. I'm actually
2: having, I'm like having a hard time thinking about the future beyond.
1: Right. Right.
2: The election. It is.
1: Yeah, it, it is. I, the amount of people lately who have reached out like business professionals, people, I work with a lot of people in the entertainment industry who've said like, I'm really having bad anxiety about the election. Yes which is so hard because it's so uncontrollable. Right. And you, it really is the definition of like, you're worrying about something that you can't, you can only do what you can do and, you know, use your platform, use your voice and even people listening to this who are not actors who can use the community that they have around them to affect change. But at the end of the day, it will be whatever it will be. And that it feels very hard to hold. It really is really. Yeah. I mean, and I do think that
2: I'm starting to, uh, because for me, the only antidote to the despair of the political landscape is really activism and Mm -hmm. beyond just posting and, and, and doing things with whatever platform I have, which yes, is is, I think anyone who has any sort of a platform or has any sphere of influence should be doing everything they can to spend all of that um, goodwill. But but right. I also really find uh, the kind of grassroots phone banking, text banking, postcard writing. This was a postcard sure. that this was like my, I've been writing to voters in Pennsylvania. That really is the only antidote for me. And that mm-hmm. feels really good because it feels really tangible. Yes, and yeah. carving out that time every week I mean, we'll talk about the Jane Club, but we have like a schedule every week for phone banking and text banking. And knowing you're doing it with people, there's kind of a, I think for a lot of people, a barrier to entry there where they're like, I've never called a voter before. I don't know what to say. What if they're angry? You know, there's so many fears around it. You actually do it and you do it on a Zoom with people you know and can chat with about questions and fears. And it ends up being this, I think, incredible experience. So mm-hmm. that's really helped me. And on yeah. Monday. So, so my plan is to do, I have phone banking today, but also on election day and the day before, I'm going to be doing like a lot of get out the vote phone banking and text banking.
1: And that helps. That helps. It does. And, and not just, not just election related. I think that any time that you can do something with your hands like literally you're you're doing it's not just sort of we're putting a tweet out there we're doing a thing it's like no we are actually showing up at the homeless shelter we are showing up we're doing the thing that we can do which looks different in times of COVID but there are ways like you are you are acting out right now that make you feel like okay I'm doing what I can with the resources that I have in the, the day that I have been given which is so helpful.
2: I think also you know where my head's starting to go is this actually does have to, this, this work will be needed and necessary no matter who's in
1: office. No matter what happens. Absolutely. Because regardless of what happens, we still are a country very much divided, very much divided for us as women who have many kinds of privilege is not doesn't affect us as much as it affects many other people who are caught in the crossfire of that, that divisiveness. So there I love too. that you're saying that because I feel like it's so important on some level. The work is just beginning.
2: Absolutely. I
1: mean, I, I, I feel that way too,
2: even people talk about like, oh, we're post me too. I'm like, sweetie, I, me too done and never right. started. Like that's oh, just right. the, we're scratching right. the surface. Right, um, and the yeah. same way, and I understand like when there's cultural reckonings of racism, misogyny, all of it, it's deeply uncomfortable, and there's a desire for it to have have happened already and to be past it. Mm-hmm. But yes, like you said, the work continues and especially with Biden and Harris, like the work continues, like Biden needs to be pushed on, on the climate in such a major fucking way. There's going to be so much work to do no matter who's in office. And I, that's been a real lesson for me. Cause I think in 2016, I did, I have always been engaged, but I was, I think I did have an attitude of like, okay, Hillary, like. You're gonna get the keys and I'll see you in four years. Right. You know, and I've had to kind of do my own internal reckoning of of that and where I was sitting, which has been really powerful and good. Yeah. So yeah, all of that's to say I'm right now, we are just a couple days out and I'm a nervous wreck. And I feel mm-hmm. hopeful and I feel scared to feel hopeful.
1: Right. Right. I saw a meme yesterday that I thought was so good. Uh, It was like a retweet of someone in meme form. And it said, have a plan for what self-care you are going to need if this election does not go the way that you want it to, which is so real because I remember being with my team, some of which are still on, on staff with me the day after the last election. And the feeling was one of such despair because none of us could believe, none of us could believe it. And especially for the members of my staff who are LGBTQ, who were just like, "What? what it, how did this happen? How did we even get to this place? And it was such a, I'm such an optimistic, like, okay, let's look for the positives, you know, whatever. And in that moment, it was like, we just have to sit and kind of mourn what we mm-hmm. thought this was going to be and what it actually is. And so I'm with you, man. I'm so hopeful. And I'm so, I want to believe in us as, as human beings, but I also think like just in case yeah, having a plan for, okay, what is it going to look like if it doesn't go the way that, that we hope that it will, because, Oh, yeah. 2020 has been scary. a bitch, man, and she <laughs> I don't think she's done. She's not done. So I'm just like, oh god, Hold don't let way. this be the thing too. So I know.
2: And and I think it is important to like hope and to be positive. And I also think that to be honest, I don't even know if, if many of us or at least I don't feel like I've begun to process Hillary's loss.
1: Right. And the right. collective
2: trauma of that election. Right. I really so the humiliation, the you know, devastation of it, the disappointment and I, I don't and, and I feel the same way about like the pandemic too. We live in a country where there's also no collective response to the grief of losing over two hundred thousand people to this mm-hmm. virus. I mean I felt that after 9-11 too, like we are so scared mm-hmm. to name grief, to name
1: mm-hmm. and sit
2: with it. And I think the consequences of that are really destructive actually, you know? And so I do think it's important to live in reality. And I think that's what so many of us are craving right now. Like can right. we be in reality? Can we right. be with what is real and true? Because we've been in this, crazy like house of mirrors the last four years and and of course longer than that too but I think I I'm also so I I do crave that that sense of like oh we can we can be sad no matter what happens actually because it's still right. there's a lot to be sad about in terms of Hillary's loss and what we've just gone through in the years we've lost I mean we've actually right. lost We've just lost a year of our lives, Mm -hmm. of our precious lives on earth. Like this, it's a fucking horror. It's horrible. You know, it is so horrible. And I know you said this is a positive podcast, so we'll get on to more positive (laughs) things. But there is a part of me that's like, you know, our, um, my friend, Milamji Daliwal, who's the chief equity and inclusion officer at the Jane Club, she has this phrase that her mom always said, which is chardi kala. And it translates essentially to buoyant optimism. And I love that so much because the idea of like buoyancy right now, I think is really important that no matter what happens, even if it's like, we don't have a choice, we have to continue on. And for the sake of our children and the future and our own selves too, and march forward. And so I'm I remain hopeful and yes. hopefully this podcast will air and it'll be a different, it'll be a new day. It'll
1: be a new right. day. Right. The Pollyanna in me has to yes. say one thing to what you just said. You said, and I understand the the sentiment here, this idea of like, we've lost a year. Mm-hmm. I actually feel like to have the future that we need to have, we needed to go through this year of loss. Mm-hmm we needed to have things sort of burned down, right? We needed to have things like houses built on sand had to shift and fall. Never ever would you want things to get to the place that they've gotten with police brutality and the loss of so many black lives. But those things being pushed to the forefront, us being forced to face what is Mm -hmm. happening as a nation is what affects change. And so it, it's like a year of pain and a year of um, the the shit that we're sitting inside mm-hmm. of doesn't feel like a loss. It feels like a necessity because if it wasn't as bad as it is right now, would this many people have already voted? Right? Would mm-hmm. we have seen the the Very this true. like fire lit in hearts again? Like, would we have seen? I, I mean, if you look at the civil rights movement, like things have to get to a breaking point in order for real change to happen. And so I I know that I am a Pollyanna and I am constantly looking for how are things for us, even when they're awful. But even in this year of shit, I don't think it's a loss. I think it is the exact- I love that. Right? Like we had to, if we're gonna have to go through it, then let it mean something, right?
2: Absolutely. I think that's beautiful. I love hearing that. And I think, you know, that's really, I think it's, it's vulnerable to be hopeful. You know, it's right. It it feels scary because we were burned before. And, but, but I do, I do feel that too. I do. I'm like, especially as I think about women, you know, that NPR story that came back that just talked a lot about how, how all of the disproportionate of our women who are leaving the workforce and how this pandemic for generations is going to affect the progress that women have made. And it's devastating and that's real. And I'm also like, well, what an opportunity to build something new because mm-hmm. the workforce actually didn't work for mm-hmm. many women. Some of these systems that we're going to like, want to go back to like, like you said, houses of sand that fell apart, like, well, we may be able to rebuild something completely new. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. You know, that's really exciting to me. So I agree. Like some, listen, something's happening. (laughs)
1: Like the
2: old ways do not serve. Something is clearly, some kind of shift in humanity is afoot. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember early on, it was like Trump had just been elected and Jane Fonda came to speak to this group of progressive women that, an activist group that I'm a part of in Los Angeles called Feminist in Action. And that was formed right after the 2016 election. And she came to speak to these women and she said, I'll never forget. She said the patriarchy is a beast, and when it's been wounded like it has been, it's at its most dangerous. Right. That's what we saw with Donald Trump. Like, it's dying, right? We see that. Like, we're in, as humans, like, we're in that. It's actually at its most dangerous right now because it's fighting for survival, Right and I don't know. I think about that a lot. I'm like, yeah, it is really scary, but but I remain hopeful
1: too. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> solving all the world's problems. We haven't even started the actual show. I know. Yet. I'm like, is this the, the, the podcast? Are we? No, in? this is right. We're and we're done. We we figured it out. No, I love that. And I, it's exactly what you said. It's it's getting to even having like meetings with someone you've never met before and it is it starts with the like how are you what's going on what it's a deeper you know there's there those are the the beautiful yeah, parts of we what, are, what Listen, what, of. what is the
2: pandemic proven but that we are all connected and right our literal wellness is dependent on on each other each other <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that is real that is real and beautiful in a way. And I am hopeful. You know, my, one of my best friends, Casey Wilson, did say to me the other day, and I laughed so hard. She's like, I just want to be at the point where I get to like look back on all the lessons I learned. Like, I want to be looking right. back on all that I learned. Right. Having I want
1: that hindsight. Yeah. Totally. She's to like, in we're, it just still so, we're just still so in it. Oh my god! Right, I know we are. Right. Yep. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Now it feels like a hard segue. Let's do it. Let's just like shift. Unless unless your list of five things just happens to be some easy segue from what we have been talking about.
2: Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I think it. I think it. There's there's a natural transition. So okay. One of the you know so the five things of course I want to talk about is is women in comedy and women who make me laugh because that's my favorite thing in the world. Nothing nothing gives me more joy. And I do think that this time like we do need to seek joy out. And 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 joy is resistance too. And art and beauty as like something that elevates us out of like the shit of life. I have always like, I just was never someone who gravitated toward male comedians or stand-ups and it's just I intellectually like understand why they're funny and and can like tip my hat to them. I mean there are a few people that really I I love 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 like the Steve Martins of the world, the you know Seth Rogen makes me laugh harder than anyone. Like there's there's right. a couple of male comedians Martin Short that I'm like delighted by, but right. for the most part, my what makes me. Like, the windows for me into my own experience, into, like, that full-body, like, recognition Mm -hmm. have always been women, starting with my mother, who was a very, very funny woman, made us all, like, laugh so hard at the dinner table and also loved comedy. Like, she... Was so obsessed with the movie What About Bob that she and would laugh so hard at Bill Murray's performance that she would pee her pants. And every time we put on the movie, because we had it on a VHS tape, my dad had to put like towels underneath her. So, <laughs> so there was a, there was certainly in my own home a premium put on like, can you make us laugh?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: And, So my mother's like ability to storytell ability to take you into her experience was amazing and hilarious. And her friends were hilarious to me and their wants and desires. And I just like, it's interesting heading into the world of comedy because I never thought, like I thought only women were funny. (laughs) Like, That's it was awesome. such a shock to realize, like, not everyone felt that
1: way. Yeah. Because
2: to me, and when I got to, like, UCP and there, it was, of course, so, in New York, it was so male-dominated. There's only a scattering of, of women improvisers, some of them uh, incredible, but I was so confused because, to me, women were actually innately funny. I, yeah, so... So one of the things, though, and I, I loved, I love Lucy growing up. So anyway, these are my top five women, and and I, I'll back up to say the reason why I think it is important in this time is because if we, when life feels like it's on pause, I think if we don't allow ourselves to be joyful, even in like sometimes people talk about identity work, even you know the identity. Racial identity for white people and exploring your privilege. And it's always framed as like this horrible, embarrassing, shameful process. And I am not saying that there is not that a part of it, right? I think in some Mm -hmm. ways that's like actually very necessary to go through. What I wish was talked about more was joy on the other end of that. An experience of like understanding your humanity more and feeling freer in the world. And... I think there's a lot of joy at the end of this work and it's only ever talked about in such heavy ways. So I believe it's incredibly important to connect to joy and nothing is more joyful to me than laughing. And so my top five favorite women in comedy start, of course, with my mother and her stories of, of course, she wasn't a professional performer, but her stories of, I remember she told this wild story of like, she was a New York city public school teacher and had to plan one of the teacher's retirement parties. And she was responsible for the balloons. And my mother was very smart, but like when it came to just the, you know, she's the type of person who would call my father (laughs) and he would pick up the phone and she'd say, where, now, where are you? Are you home? And he's like, yeah, you called home, like stuff like that. Like just, just like a little out there, you know, head in in the clouds. And she took this giant arrangement of balloons to this restaurant where they were having this retirement party for one of the teachers. And as she was walking into the restaurant late, of course, like kind of discombobulated, she didn't realize that the ceiling had like a stucco top like a stucco, you know, yeah. plaster. And she's like running back there and they're all like, where are you? It's about to start. And all of the balloons start popping, like one by one, every single one of them. So those are the type of things that just would have me crying as like, a you know, a middle schooler around the dinner table. So I definitely... Think my mother was one of the funniest women I've ever met, and then of course I was obsessed with Lucille Ball, still am. Yeah. Her yeah. Physical comedy, her clown work, no other way. Right. It. right. Clown work is to me unparalleled, and yeah, so beyond brilliant. Right. Um, that I I would watch I Love Lucy, like it was like I was going to grad school or something, and just study her and just. I couldn't believe how good she was and especially like now that I look back on it I'm like wow I was really watching a black and white television show I mean I guess it was technicolor mm-hmm. but I was wa- I was watching it at every spare moment I had so she meant a whole lot to me and and I'll I'll put her up there
1: and I think if you acknowledge her you also have to step back even looking at her career in general how For the time period she was in, the fact that she owned and created that show, the fact that she was stunningly beautiful. And Mm -hmm. in that time period, to be that pretty and to be in the entertainment industry, there really was sort of one role that you would have taken. And so to go and be this, like, to your point, sort of clownish, Mm -hmm. like being so silly and so ridiculous when she could very easily have just been like, oh, I'm, you know. I'm the pretty one and I know how to act and this is what I do. It really is inspiring when you realize how much she broke molds Mm -hmm. and disrupted what was common for women in that time period.
2: Absolutely. And I don't think I had ever seen anyone. I mean, she was so essential to my, I think, love of performing, watching her, because I think I did notice around that time that girls were thought of as like being seen, you know, and mm. viewed and, and kind of seen by others. And, and Lucy and Lucille Ball was fully in her own body and looking out and like, we got to laugh at it, but she was, she was so willing to humiliate herself and to look Absolutely ridiculous, mm-hmm. and it's like it's one of the things I, I struggle with sometimes. about roles for women now, and like this idea that that we should present women as so perfect and strong and together. And I'm like, I I don't respond to that. I I think women are all those things, of course. I mean, women are are, are warriors, but. I also so appreciate women. I mean, Kristen Wiig has this. There's a lot of comedians who are working right now who are so willing to to transcend. Right. Look fucking ridiculous and make me yes. hell with laughter. Right. So I, I just, I love it so much. And Lucille Ball just was so goddamn brilliant. It was physical comedy.
1: Right. It's not the same thing at all, but you just maybe think about, sort of talking about this idea of uh, nuance to female characters and how often that gets lost. Have you ever read anything by Gillian Flynn? Yes. Gone Girl, Girl, Sharp Objects. yeah, The very first book I read by her years ago before things sort of exploded was Sharp Objects, which later got turned into a movie. But the book is so fucking good. And I was reading an interview with her where she was talking about that she wanted to write female characters that were truly evil to their core. Mm -hmm. So she said so often when people write women, they write women and they say, they're like, this is the evil queen or this is the evil stepmother, but then they give you a why. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, she's evil because someone hurt her. She's evil because whatever. And she said, there are some women who are just evil Mm -hmm. people. (laughs) There's no backstory that makes it okay. They're just rotten, awful people. And nobody wants to tell that story because we want women to fit into a certain pedestal that we have for them. So it's a completely different side of the view that you're looking at. But I love that idea of showing all the parts, show the ugly parts, show the stuff that we're not supposed to see, show the human uh, in this human instead of this ideal that you have, which is just such a richer piece of storytelling than what we typically uh, see.
2: Totally, because what well, you know, women are not a monolith and are incredibly complicated and foolish and don't have a plan and you know, vulnerable and weak and strong and and I do feel like oh we, we have such limited representations right and until we can and and we cling on to what we're offered because there's not many options, but ultimately, like we don't we don't really get to see full humanity. It's one of the things I love about. Okay, so moving on to my two other down the list, I'll throw Grace and Frankie on because it's a natural segue, and Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. And of course, it's also a shameless plug. But I I do think that one of one of the things I love about the two of them and their performances is the fullness of their humanity, especially for aging women. Who Mm -hmm. are usually seen in comedy as a punchline Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and ridiculous and that their age makes them funny. And that when they are when they age, they lose their currency in in our culture. And Kristen Frankie just like flips the script on that and proposes (laughs) that they still have their senses of humor, their sexuality, their intelligence and that actually they are more valuable that to Mm -hmm. me is really cool and in terms of their comedy i mean lily tomlin there's a direct line from lucille ball to lily tomlin Mm
0: -hmm. you know in
2: terms of what lily is doing on the show in terms of her comedy because it's so physical it's i've never seen i've never worked with anyone who is is in their body who has command and control over their body in a way that Lucille Ball did, you know? Except for Lily Tomlin, <laughs> and she just—I mean, she could read the phone book, and I would laugh. But she's just um, one of those comedic actors who's also like a walking heartbeat, where you just see their heart over and over, and it's so she's so available. Her emotional—they're mm-hmm. so available. Available and so she, she's. It's mean, why so many amazing comedians are also such great actors, I and mean, I think Lily's a great example of that. She can do anything because she's ava- like she's just available and responds in real time, and I just. <sighs> I just think she's so funny. And then Jane does something entirely different, and I think equally as funny, which is so much more cerebral, so much more internal, so much more kind of neurotic. My mother used to say about Jane Fonda, like, nobody plays a neurotic like she does. And it's true. Like, she just has, you see her brain, you see her thoughts on screen. And I think the work she's doing in Grace and Frankie is so brilliant and funny because she, you, 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 see her fighting this, you know, fighting Lily Tomlin and fighting like what we know as an audience, she really wants, which is to be loved and to love. And yet she has all these barriers in front of her. And it's just such a nuanced, amazing, hilarious performance. So do I only have one left? Because I actually have two more.
1: Oh, you can do as many as you want. Though I do, I want to, I, I just like, I want to scratch at something, which is really Please. interesting to me that i never thought about before in that in order, I, I never thought about this idea for an actor to truly uh, like hone that, the physicality of comedy which is so it it looks so easy and it's not so easy this idea of being fully present in your own body Mm. I haven't thought about that before about like that someone who can do that so well who owns that physicality and can bring that into what they're doing that you have to be fully present I mean and you're talking about going back as far as you know Lucille Ball like that. That those aren't. That wasn't even language that mm. they used back then. Like no one was like, "Oh, you're so fully present in where you are." But for you as an actor, is that like, is that a process that you think through in order for you to be to have that physicality that it is kind of drawing into being more present in your own skin and being in this? I never thought about that before. Yeah, I mean, absolutely.
2: I. You know, I mean, there's a process that I go through and I don't know that anyone wants to hear like my actor's process, but I really do try to physically be awake for, to respond in the moment. You know, one of the things, and I also come from an improv background too. So one of the things I really value is real time responses and surprising Mm -hmm. each other, especially when you're working on film and TV and you're there all day it's a lot of repetition. And so I think there's something so fun and special about surprising each other and doing something different. And I think the danger in film and TV is that you can be, I see a lot of actors out there who are quite successful being on camera and, and being kind of cut off from their bodies. Cause most of it lives right here. Whereas you don't see that with theater actors as much. They're so physically present, but, but then there are the, the Lily Tomlins, you know, the Steve Martins who mm-hmm. are fully, and they play a lot, of, a lot of their stuff plays in wide shots because they're fully from head to toe in that scene. And It's just so delightful to me. That's the type of comedy I love. Eddie Murphy is a great, another fucking amazing example of this. I mean, Eddie Murphy's performance, I know he's not a woman, but performance in Bowfinger is, I think, one of my favorite performances. And he's- Such a good movie. It's so good. good I turned to that movie in in really low times. But yeah, I think the body, listen, you have your body and your voice, and that's really it. And Mm -hmm. so- I really, and I do think that, that this is something, whether you're an actor or not, sometimes just we as people, you see kids and they're breathing when they, they sleep, you watch babies sleep and they're they're breathing from their stomachs. Mm-hmm. And then we, well, that's the way we learn how to breathe. And then we get a little older and we go through puberty and all gets like up here, you know, and everything mm-hmm. starts to travel like up, 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 but you start breathing from your chest and we, we start to get really disconnected from From being a body.
1: Right. (laughs) Well, and then if we're going to even dig deeper into this, as women, most of us from a very early age are taught to be at war with our bodies. Absolutely. We're we're not taught to be present in what it is. We're taught the world tells us all the things that are wrong with it. And so we grow up working, like if the stomach was only flatter, if my thighs were only smaller, if my butt was more round, whatever, whatever, then... I would love myself. Then I would have yes, the life. Then life I want. So right, and so this idea of you know we, we talk a lot, like with my girlfriends, we talk a lot about the energy that you bring to a space and and how you are staying present in your life and sort of being in this moment. But I love applying that to different areas, right? Like it would mm-hmm. never, it it would never occur to me, but I'm having that connection for the first time. Like, Oh, that's what you're seeing mm-hmm. when you're seeing a Carol Burnett, when you're seeing an Eddie Murphy, perfect, yep. right. When you're mm-hmm. seeing Jim Carrey is a very physical, like in, but it's, I never would think of it as being present. And I'm such a nerd that I love making that connection. Yeah. So I'm, I'm yeah. geeking out. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs>
2: Of course. I mean, just quickly to go through the rest. There there's also some people I've started following <laughs> on social media that are not like performers that I I just um, I just think are hilarious. You know, way on Instagram. I mean, she's going to have her whole, whole own Showtime show, but her like Insta shows or live shows made me laugh so hard and I just appreciate performers like her. Cause I'm like, Oh, you, you are such a singular voice. Maria Bamford is the same way. Like that's, you are a singular point of view mm-hmm. that, and brain and mind and genius that you don't see other uh, places. <laughs> but I, mm-hmm. I just find that to be so exciting. And then I've got to show you because, I just in this quarantine got on TikTok. I don't make any TikToks, but I do follow certain people, and there's a couple of people who are making me laugh
1: so fucking hard. TikTok is bringing some hilarious comedians that we would never, never have, have, seen have heard of. Yeah. Okay, so this yeah,
2: so this woman, Flossy Baby, I I am LOLing. So she, I mean, she's just again, she's a college student. She is making me laugh so hard at Flossy Baby, and I'm just dying. Then there's another woman. What is her name? I'm going to find her. I believe her name is Erin Farrington. I I wonder if she's like a professional comedian because she's just too good. But I watch her and I just die laughing. And I think I'm excited about that because there's such. There used to be well. There's such a barrier to entry, you know, for comedy, like, oh, can you afford the classes? Can you go through this and that? Do you have the ability to take off time from your job right. to pursue standup or improv or whatever? And I do think social media is amazing that way in terms of finding like these new voices that are popping through because mm-hmm. there's a democracy to it. You know, there's like, yeah. uh, you have an internet connection. Mm-hmm. You can probably create something. Doesn't matter right. where you live. Don't have to live in New York. Don't have to live in LA. And God, there's a lot of talent. So those are just a couple, those are right now, those are some of my faves. And there's so many, I there's so many it. more.
1: There are so many more. And I love that that's the direction that your list is going. I'm curious, this is more of a normal podcast question than a this podcast question, but I'm just gonna follow my curiosity right now. How does this time period, has this time period giving you any, like, have you felt creative? in the in mm. the year that we've had or because I feel like this time has sort of affected creators in two ways it's either you kind of feel like okay I'm a seed and I'm being planted right now and right. I'm just going to sort of be underground, or there was something in it that made you feel like you know what I've got something to say like in the pain art came out of it and this is what I want to create yeah. because of it um no
0: I don't feel that way
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. I don't <laughs> I'm really feeling creatively, honestly, totally stifled and yeah. I'm not feeling inspired. I, all those people inspire me and I'm really appreciating having access to them. Yeah, But I, I am so craving being on a set, being around mm-hmm. creative people. Um, I've gotten some writing done and I'm, I'm working on some ideas, but I... I'm having a hard time doing that to be totally right. honest. And yeah, there used to be there used to be more hours in the day. like after I put my kids to so bed, I would work for a couple more hours. Those days are over. Like I am feeling an exhaustion kick in by the end of the day. That's like i yeah. I must get in that bed right, um, <laughs> you know, and completely cocoon. So right. unfortunately, I. Have gone inward during this time and don't. I, and feel I, know, like I, you know, I have think the it, I don't.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that there is a right answer. I, d- I do find it very interesting that some of the struggles—not the right word—but within the entertainment industry, and I mean people who are in front of the camera, people who are behind the camera, agents are some of I feel like have been hit the hardest, mm-hmm. it emotionally and mentally in this last nine months. Um, and it's even harder, I think, because so many of the people that I'm talking to in those roles are the kind of people who are supposed to have it all together mm. or publicly their lives are supposed to be perfect and good and all of those things. But to me, the the piece that's been pulled away for so many is the energy of being around other creatives. Yes. So you had this world that you got to plug into, right? Like you went to set and you were around all of this, Yes. the energy and momentum of that. And, you know, the artistry in someone doing makeup, the artistry Mm -hmm. in a writer, you know, the food that you were having didn't matter. It was just all of these things coming together that for so many of y'all, you, that's been taken away. And as much as it's like a sort of a fix, it's not easily achieved through Zoom, you can't, not. you can't get the energy of other human beings and that space. And it's, it's not, I, it feels like this thing where it's like, oh, you know, I, we're so blessed, right? Y'all are so blessed to get to do the things you do, but it is, it, it feels like this thing that people aren't talking about because you don't want to say like, oh, my life's hard. It's like, oh, well, you're an actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How is your life hard? But the, the psychological, ramifications for so many artists I know who've had that energy removed from their lives. It's very real. Yes, it is very real, real. And it is hurting a lot of people. It is. And I think, you know, I think there's
2: also the issue of like caretaking. And if you have children, you know, there's, there's this, right. this time is taking something from you. And I have definitely gotten, I think creatively, I've felt stifled and uninspired. And and like you said, sad and yearning for that. I mean, it is an addiction. It's like I'm yearning for that feeling of creating something and it's it's just hard to achieve elsewhere. But I have had creative like experiences during this time. I mean, I think about you know, the Jane Club and having like built a business. I mean, it is a creative pursuit in many ways. And and what we've had to do since the pandemic and moving an entire community that used to meet in, in, on a real space and then moved online, creating community. I mean, I, I, that's to me, I love being with people. I love Mm
1: -hmm.
2: bringing people together. Like that is, such a great feeling and so although I haven't felt like artistically necessarily inspired the Jane Club for me has been a lifesaver during this time yeah because I've had to show up in all sorts of different ways for the community and it's and then and then it's forced me to also be really transparent with our community and like what just is happening with the business and We just closed our physical location a few weeks ago. And so we're in this weird situation of like our physical location couldn't sustain itself because nobody wanted to come in anymore,
0: understandably.
2: We we wouldn't even put staff back in. So I totally understood it. But at the same time, we've seen this huge growth of our online community, which has like kind of blown up the last couple of months. So it has been like grief and joy and you know, so many different things. And one thing we started doing was being really honest with the community and holding these town halls every few months to just say like, this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like this is what we need to do to survive. And this is what's going well. This is what's not going well. And for me, I mean, I'm a Capricorn. I love to like work really hard and then present it. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. love... Necessarily showing people how I got there, and it was really hard for me to do. But what ended up happening so crazily was that the community then kind of stepped in hmm. to support itself and to help in uh, like unbelievable ways. So it's been a What real... is the
1: Jane Club for people who? Oh are gosh, listening. I'm
2: sorry. I should have just started there. So. <laughs> the Jane Club we were, we started off as a physical location and were a community space that offered full-time childcare. So as I was just mm-hmm. mentioning, you know, women are doing the bulk of of caretaking with their children and then also with older parents. Like there's so much unpaid labor that falls on women and and we are seeing that just disproportionately skyrocket right now. This pandemic has really shown a light on that. But the Jane Club was started with that mission in mind to center caretakers and to take care of the women who take care of everything else and to get really specific about what that means. So for so many women, that means like, do you offer (laughs) childcare? Because we can't do this without it. You know, and I have a lot of thoughts on like, I think Americans love to think we care about children and see ourselves that way. And I don't think we do, you know, I don't think we invest in children properly. And I don't think we invest in the people who take care of them. So it was really started with uh, the knowledge that women are having children later and later. And that's probably a trend that's only going to continue. And that's now happening, like when we should be making the most money we'll ever make in our professional careers. And so there's this, there are these critical years. And the Jane Club really steps in to take care of women during that time. So we offered a co-working space, but we also offer, you know, meditation, uh, fitness classes, and a whole diversity and equity lab. But, you know, I always say we're kind of part part continuing education and part spa and part, like, <laughs> your local activist group. Cause we do tons of right. activists. Or, you know, we are, we are this holistic, really caretaking center for women. We did move online and we are now a, a platform that does just that. So we, we do live gatherings and, and we have um, an, an internal like social connection systems and it's been really incredible. So that has really saved me during this time to be a part of, to be in community. I mean, yeah. it's one of the things women do so well. Hmm. So the Jane Club is now in over 35 states and four countries. We just were in LA. So to see it also, awesome. now, <laughs> you know, in an economic downturn, we're like, oh, wait, what? But I'm realizing right. like, oh, <sighs> This is actually more necessary than it ever was. Mm -hmm. So from children's programming, you know, my husband, Paul Shearer, is hosting a talent. We do talent shows on Friday afternoons (laughs) where the kids and so many women don't have kids who who join us. And like they they come to our talent shows, too, to support all the kids. It's so sweet. We do happy hours. We do like we just did a diversity and equity lab on. um like cultural appropriation of Halloween costumes.
1: Um, Mm.
2: We've done, you know, just tons, we hold racial affinity spaces so women can come together in racial affinity and and explore their racial identity in the hopes of, you know, coming back together in more just multiracial relationships. So we do ask and gives or people ask things to the community and they, you know, offer things to the community. So it's just been a, it's been a really beautiful magical experience um, to both create this and then also actually get to experience it myself. It's kind of been lifesaving.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. If uh, people are listening and they want to find out more, where do they go. So you, oh, so
2: you, your listeners can head to geneclub.com. And if they want to use my very special code for $10 off their first month, we are membership based. And a part of the reason we do that is because, I mean, I think sometimes people don't understand this, but it's like, well, Facebook is free. Twitter is free and your data is sold. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like,
1: that's just so you know, that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like that old saying, if you don't have to pay for the product, you're the product. You are the product. So
2: right. we are a different solution there. We do have a, a membership that's $50 a month and that lowers if you sign on for, for multiple months. But if you want $10 off your first month, you can go to JaneClub.com and use my special code, which is insiderjaneff, insiderjaneff.
1: Perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes too. So people can find it easily. Yeah. Thank you for hanging out. You and I have, I mean, we've run the gamut today. We've <sighs> talked about all the things. <laughs> we were Comedy, not. election, we talked about pain, all. right. All the things. It feels like a good first conversation. I appreciate you spending time and hanging out and bringing joy and the necessity for joy in our lives and reaching for laughter and happiness, even. In the hardest seasons, I really appreciated getting to know you better, and I hope this is not our last conversation. Me too. you um, to so today. much for having me on. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Someday when the world is whatever it's going to be again, and we can see other humans in person. Yes. I hope that we get to see each other in person.
0: Your faves faves is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. The show is produced by Chelsea Harfouch and edited by Andrew Weller with production support from Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Your Faves Faves is a 3% chance production.